So welcome to the Love Fly podcast. I'm Paul Tizar, Fear of Flying coach, and today's special guest is Heidi Cole. Now, Heidi does tons and tons of stuff, but I'm really interested in talking about private flying. So welcome, Heidi. so much for having me it's great to be here tell the listeners a little bit about your kind of journey to where you are right now gosh I've really I've traveled most of my life as soon as I left school I moved to London I started modeling and when I was doing that that's where I started traveling around the world and this is in days of you know showing my age here this is in days where you had to take four flights to get from London to Japan so that was quite a journey in itself and going through so many different time zones, change of date, all of that stuff. And then when I sort of, the modeling wasn't so glamorous anymore, I was starting to advertise vacuum cleaners and what have you. That's where I thought, well, what can I do that will still enable me to travel? And that's where I started flying, started at Virgin Atlantic, and that just, you know, blew my mind. I loved it. And then I progressed into private flying, which I've now been doing for the last 15 years. So it's been... No way. 15 years. 15 years. I know. I, I Actually, it's 16. It's 16 now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it's what really made great. you go from the commercial? I mean, it's all commercial, but, you know, the, the, the sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, posh airline. Yes. No, <laughs> not even that, is it? Because you're in posh airlines now. What made you want to go from Virgin to the private world? Well, I had actually decided to leave. I was moving away. I moved to the Channel Islands. I didn't want to keep commuting. I thought I'd try something else because I I felt like I was sick sick of living out of a suitcase. Mm. And then I realized after a couple of years, that actually, I really missed living out of a suitcase. I just wanted nothing more than to do that. And I was working in a bank at the time, like a, like a sort of a private bank. And one of the clients came in who was a pilot. And I was like, oh, I used to be a flight attendant. And he said, oh, well, you know, why don't you look at private flying? I said, oh, what's that? And it was, that was it. I then started to explore it. And that's how I got started. And I had a very lucky break. Um, I started working with a royal family in Saudi Arabia. Mm. that was it really and from the training that I had from that and that was I thought I'd seen so much that there was to see with Virgin Atlantic and then this was a whole other level of everything on every level in what way I think certainly levels of luxury realizing that for this whole aircraft I remember actually we were parked in the states believe it was in Boston and we only had five passengers and it was either Virgin or British Airways was next to us you know one of these big jets and we had more catering coming on board than the aircrafts next to us for like 300 passengers and I thought this is blowing my mind you know Mm. Mm. yeah so it's 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 pretty incredible things like that and just the things that you know that passengers want on board it's like a it's like a traveling luxurious home yeah you know people have bathtubs showers you know whatever they want it's part of your you know sort of repertoire to recreate that experience really whatever they want you try and do your best to create it you never know what Mm. you're going to be called upon for so how did you find going from 
you know that the virgin we've got to think of an overarching overarching name for it but that commercial. stuff yeah flying, yeah. yeah yeah to the private how how was that transition for you it was you know virgin flying commercially only really prepared me for what it would be like to travel dealing with jet lag uh dealing with passengers in general but going into private was just you know, I, I think even if you haven't come from a commercial airline, you know, it, it, it's not a huge jump because actually you have to completely change everything mm. about what you're doing. You know, you don't really take many of the skills with you other than you're used to dealing with passengers and people, you're used to dealing with jet lag. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just a whole other level. So it was just a whole other learning experience yet again. And Apart from my first job where I was working with a crew, it was a small crew, but after that you're working, I've always worked alone. So you are the cabin service manager, you are the flight attendant, you're everything pretty much except the mechanic and the pilot. Everything else you are then responsible for. So that and, you, and you're okay with that? Is that all right? You, you, you mean you're smiling, you must it must be okay for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think um it's it's something that I I think again it's you, you're always pushing through comfort zones to get to that point, but I think something about us as flight crew because we're always stepping into the fun the unknown the whole time and there's part of you that kind of needs that and you're always expanding and growing, so for me it just felt like almost a natural transition and once I tried it I thought oh this is really fun. Mm. the upside is is that if the flight goes well you get all the credit the downside is if it doesn't go well you haven't got anybody to blame it's all down to you yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was quite um it's, it's quite an experience but it's really it really prepares you for everything you know if you bring those skills onto the ground for example you can create the most incredible dinner parties at the you know drop of a hat um because it's what you really have to do in the air as mm. well so it, yeah it's been an incredible experience. So yeah. just for, you know, for my own curiosity, actually. So private means literally like it's not the number of people, but it's the fact that that is somebody has gone, right, we're going to, it's either their own aircraft or they've, they've hired it and said, right, we're going to have five of us, four of us. We're going to a specific destination. We've, we've done our own flight. We've got our own pilots. Is it that the sort of the way it works? It is, yes. And even some major, uh, you know, commercial airlines, uh, say if there's a whole rugby team flying somewhere, rather than take a private jet, they might approach one of the commercial airlines and say, can we charter one of your aircrafts with your crew to take our whole, you know, entourage somewhere? That would be classed as a private flight. But in in general, um, it is that it's a private jet you know it's it's they're just it's super luxurious anything from where you know you you can just about get a flight attendant on board you have to have somebody very short uh to the larger luxurious aircrafts and it just depends on you know mm-hmm. you're then looking at the you know ten fifteen thousand dollars an hour to run just even for a standard jet um and then way upwards for the for the really big jets so it, yeah it depends on a lot of things so oh, that's very cool so in terms of the the safety side of it, how does that work? Because you know, there'll be people who listen to this. Yes. You know, I've been in a private one. It was just because I was helping somebody who was a nervous flyer and they chartered a, a jet to do that because it was a one-to-one course. And it, it was 
actually, when I did the math, I thought, it's not actually, although it is expensive, it's not, it's not like ridiculous unless you're going for a crazy big thing like you're talking about. But I was watching the the crew and I thought, well, I'll do checks them and you know, what safety training do they have? You know, because I'm about to climb into this thing with this guy. And uh, so it's been a question that's been in my mind ever since. So that's why I was one of the things I was dying to ask you. And I can imagine that people might think that if they do go on something which is not not the normal sort of um, scheduled flight, it's a, a private hire. They might be thinking, well, how safe? How safe is it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question, actually. So, um, of course, I had great training in my commercial days and all of that has still stuck with me. It just seems to be mm. kind of ingrained in my, in my mind. But whichever aircraft you fly on privately, part of the training is that you they will send you somewhere to do the training. So even, for example, I've been working for a long time on a Gulfstream. Um, you know, you're sent to Savannah to the actual training facility. And this is training that, I mean, it was incredible. I've never had anywhere else. You know, I, I remember at Virgin Atlantic, we did the, you know, the swimming in the swimming pool with your pajamas on and you've got to rescue people into their life rafts, things like that. But going to Gulfstream and Savannah, for example, with a whole other experience, this was a really deep pool, very cold. It was meant to emulate the ocean as, as closely as possible. You know, they had waves going, they had a wind machine, they had a rain machine. No way. Yeah, and it was like, <laughs> it was crazy. So I just threw myself into it. I thought, well, if if there's, you know, and it was quite, you know, it was quite interesting. People were like, ah, oh, great. This is our only opportunity to try mm. it, you know. And mm. actually it was a wonderful experience where everybody just, you know, that everybody just really bonds together. Everybody just makes it work. And I realized that actually, you know, when you're when you're trained in that level that where you again in, in that, you know, many people are pushed to that comfort zone, but you've where you've had that training, you, you know, you do feel really prepared. You're like, well, actually, kind of experienced, you know, what the what worst case scenario, but actually, if if that ever did happen, this is what you can do, and it's all okay. It's mm. all okay. And and I think that that's you know, pretty hardcore, Heidi. <laughs> it is very hardcore, sorry. And I know, and I and I feel like it's, it's good to talk about because it's the elephant in the room. It's yeah. really good to talk about because I also, interestingly, have a lot of nervous flyers that actually own their own aircrafts. So that really took me by surprise. And the only thing I can offer them is to stop doing the service and just, just to sit and hold their hand. And I found that that really calms them down. I will get them to look out of the window and the last mm. thing people want to do when they're scared is actually look out the window. But I Quite find right. if you do look out the window, perception of what's going on with the aircraft is far worse where we can't see outside. So I find that really helps. It's not actually moving as much as you think. And you look out, yes. you think, oh, actually, it's not, not so bad. No, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like just to talk about it sometimes is helpful. It's not what people want to look at. But I feel like when you when there's something there and you don't look at it, that level of resistance then has power over you and it avoids you being able to accept it, whether you're really scared mm. or not, which, which I've noticed with a lot of people. And even in times of fear in my own life with, with different scenarios, if you're able just to reach a level of acceptance and say, well, actually, yes, I am scared or this worries me yeah. for whatever reason, 
but you get to a level of acceptance. It's like you're letting go of control, you're letting go of the reins, and then it can't have control over you anymore. Yeah. And I know for a fact that any fear is linked to, we've created some story in our own minds. We certainly weren't born with it. So something we've seen in the past, something we've experienced or heard, and certainly in the press where you'll see stories or you'll hear something, you know, in these very, very rare cases that something happens, it's so dramatized. Yeah, precisely. Because that's what sells. Drama mm. sells, you know, mm. like nice stories just don't sell. So it's so dramatized. And when we're carrying that around with us, I feel like it just, it, effectively, it's, we're, we're then living in the past and that anxiety about what could happen in the future. It's in the future, but it's not really real. It's just a, just a thought we're we're so attached to that thought but it's not real it's like we've just created our own horror movie (laughs) but we're not in the movie but we actually it's like we put ourselves there Mm. and I think you know I've been following what you're doing as well actually and just in terms of I know that it sounds so twee and such a cliche, but really being able to get into the present moment, I didn't realize how much this would impact my life in so many avenues. But I know that in the present moment, you're not in the past, you're not in the future. And in this present moment, you are okay, you're, you're, you're safe, you're okay. And I think when we're scared, if in the cabin or whatever it is, we're projecting into the future. But if we can just stop and say, actually, I'm creating my own horror movie right now, it's not real and just breathe and be calm. And what I did, for example, with that lady that owned her own jet, who was very, you know, a nervous flyer, I would just sit and hold her hand and that would just help her to feel calm. But I feel like if we get into the present moment, we can be, you know, I, I was just basically soothing her, but getting the present moment, it's, it's a way of actually really deeply soothing yourself. You don't realize how much better you feel when you do it. And you only realize how much better you feel because you realize you you, you haven't been doing it. Mm. You do it and you feel much better. You're like, oh, it's okay. And of course it takes practice. You know, none of us are really taught this stuff and it doesn't come naturally to us. But when we do it, it makes such a difference. It has such an impact. Yeah, it's very powerful. It's very interesting as well. The, I think it might be a surprise to people. Think about it. I've met many people, and it doesn't really matter your financial circumstances, whatever. You can't buy yourself out of fear. If you've got it, you've got it, you know. And so, so it's not a massive surprise that you've come across people who know as flyers, because I used to see them in you know, business class and places like that. But you do think when you've if you've got the ability, you've got the financial disposal to be able to say, right, I'm gonna have my own jet, that they would could pay for the best therapy in the world exactly exactly and I think it's I think from seeing so many people going through this in various levels and certainly on private jets so they're in a certain income bracket again you're you're so right it affects everybody at every Mm. level and it seems like you know my mindset just seems like such a twee and simple thing people I haven't got time for that oh no I'm way too busy and too successful for that and and, and I get it, I understand it, but it's just something that is so universally powerful that if we could stop and get to that point, it would change 
mm. an experience for so many people in so many different scenarios and that would definitely be one of them and that's yeah. something where I feel like it's you know maybe they don't want to let go of control they need to feel like they're in control but actually such an illusion we're not in control of anything no. <laughs> we're only in control of ourselves and kind of how how we can allow ourselves to feel that's that's all we can control there's nothing else yeah. so if you have to choose not even mind, that actually yeah. ah, <laughs> you can't really control yeah. your thoughts can you they just no. rumble on <laughs> yeah that's it well actually yeah that's, that's a great point I think you know that the thoughts are always going to be there but it's whether we choose to engage with those thoughts or not yeah. so at least we have well we have some degree of control of that and there are techniques you can do yeah. to, to stop that um, but our, our minds are very powerful. You know, even yeah. top athletes, you know, I've been studying this stuff and top athletes, they have to master their minds first because their minds are so much more powerful than their bodies. Mm. And that, that goes for all of us. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that, well, so there's a couple of things. I mean, I like the fact that you, the story with the, the woman who owns the jet, she doesn't like flying, you've, you've helped her. The fact that, that the safety training that you had to go through, and I was, I was thinking, but who actually, because I know there'll be a nervous flyer listening to this go, yeah, but who actually checks? Who checks you? I know with the airlines, you get rostered in and that's it. You you get a choice. You have to do your yearly safety checks. Yeah. But what about you? You're, you're an independent. Yes. So... At the start, you know, in, in a commercial airline, you, you usually have a briefing a certain period before the flight and everybody is asked random questions. Mm. And you must pass those to actually be allowed on the flight. So to be fair, we don't have that in private aviation. However, at the start of the flight, the, the captain has paperwork that we have to sign and we have to walk around the aircraft. And, you know, we, we do have a location diagram for all of the safety equipment and then we have to check that each one is there, mm. check the expiry date, check check everything that we, we would normally have to check to make sure that it's workable, that it's mm. useful, that you know how to release it from its storage and that sort of thing. So we have to do that at the start of every flight. And then every yeah. year I have to go through safety training. And I think the great thing that we still do that we did in commercial days is also CRM, which is something that... It's, you know, with the communication, with the understanding. And that's something that is constantly carried through because, again, it's this is something that has really made our industry very safe. It's one of the safest industries absolutely. out there. Absolutely. The crew resource management for, yes. for anybody non, yeah, so human factors we sometimes yeah. nickname it as. But it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. a game changer for the commercial aviation. It is. And they are trying their best to implement that in the medical world because mm. it's such a fantastic solid framework to work from that has yeah well incidences down to to the tiniest amount and I know people are probably listening thinking well I know there are incidents but I, I know from my commercial days where we used to go to staff travel and think where am I going to go where am I going to book a flight and I remember back in the days of having huge telephone books that we used to have that are like, you know, 10 inches thick. And there was a book from A to K and L to Z. And, and the amount of flights going on continually all day, every day around the world. I mean, <laughs> millions. Yeah. If you think of the amount of instances and in comparison, it's just, it's minuscule. It's mm. absolutely minuscule. And we're in a, such a safe, 
safe, solid industry, I have to say. Yeah. It's, it's an impeccable industry. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. I mean, we're going to violently agree about that. I, I've been banging on about that for ages, as have lots of my colleagues, because most people's fear is it's been fed by media reports of things and, and unfortunately it's not always as accurate as it could be which is my very polite way of putting it and saying it's <laughs> a load of crap yeah. but it makes me wonder about other news items because I look at what they talk about of aviation and I think well that's rubbish for a start I mean you only have to watch those Hollywood films and think no that's rubbish that wouldn't happen you know me and David got used to laugh about that because he's just say yeah that's just nonsense that's just yeah. nonsense but it does sell movies, it sells papers, and so it's seductive. And, and because it's so rare, it's really attractive news, isn't it? Yes. So you're, you're doing some great stuff there. So I noticed that you, you're doing something slightly different now. I've, I've seen quite a few of your things on Instagram, which I've often linked in because I find them, I mean, I don't struggle with interview nerves per se. Yes. Because... I know what the game is, but I still get a little bit anxious, but that's in a helpful way, you know, like a little bit of it. But I've referred people to your videos because you're doing lots of stuff around confidence in the air. So perhaps tell us a little, tell us what you're doing now. Tell us all about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm still flying as well. And I've, t- I've taken slightly more of a backseat with the flying to kind of do the other stuff because I find it so fulfilling. And it was only really because of my own journey and my own struggle with confidence in general. And again, that's born out of fear, certainly not fear of flying, but fear of other things that can really inhibit your life in general. And until we can push through those, it's just, they can have such a hold over us. And it really took me by surprise. It was during the pandemic and I've always been very busy flying and always had wonderful opportunities, wonderful things offered to me. And then when the pandemic hit, that's where it all dried up. And I thought, Mm. well, that's okay. You know, I've done a a lot of work on myself per se, and I'm always, you know, looking at positivity and and, and everything surrounding that. I thought, you know, I'm really prepared for this. And I was so wrong. (laughs) Mm. I had had a a horrendous time really. And the worst thing was as well that, and again, I think this is really important to take away my learning as well, is that, of course, there are many support groups that are set up and certainly for crew. And these support groups became groups of mass hysteria. And it was just more and more people panicking about the lack of work and, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen to us all? And, ah, And it was really interesting as much as I've, you know, sort of tried to take care of my mind, it really started to infiltrate my mind and my Mm. whole being. And I was getting in a place of desperation in myself. And I thought, wow, this really isn't good. So I really had to snap out of it. But I needed a coach to help me out of that, to really kind of help me to, 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 to see things from a different perspective, because what whatever place we're looking at something from, you know, you know, everything has a counterbalance, everything, everything in life. And I was just seeing one side of it and I was just locked in that. And I can see that that really relates to people that have a fear of flying in particular, for example. And that was something I had to really work through with somebody that has already worked through, 
you know, their deeper space. I thought I'd done mine until this point and clearly I hadn't. So working through that with someone and getting to the other side of it, and of course it's always a, an ongoing journey, I thought, wow, I actually didn't realise that this could exist. Mm. And I thought, I know so many people out there are struggling. I don't want other people to go through this lack of confidence, this lack of, because it's so, so limiting. It limits us on so many levels and how we feel inside and all of that stuff. And I thought, wow, I just love to really, and it just really started with me just talking about my experiences. And I'm like, hey, you know, I know it's been a really shitty time. Um, I've had one just as much myself, but this is what I learned. This is how I got through it. And then the responses that I got from people, and I, I couldn't believe what an impact it was having. People were writing to me from around the world. And I thought, wow, okay, I'll, do you know what? I'll just keep doing this because it really made mm. me feel fulfilled to mm. see that it was helping other people as well, that my own experiences weren't in vain. That then progressed to people reaching out and saying, hey, can you help me with this? And it seemed to be just that people are struggling with interviews, but also just from, again, anybody gets to a place of desperation and they want to get to that you you can't get to there from there you've got to be able to shift your mindset and then put a few things in place and that will then get you to that place but if you're in that that counterbalance of mindset you're just it's just not going to happen and I thought well this is something I have worked through so it's wonderfully it's I've been able Mm -hmm. to help others with it so I'm doing coaching I'm also doing a, a mentorship course to help people um, with no experience in the private cabin and how to do what I do in the cabin so yeah and it's just kind of growing from there and we'll, we'll see see where that goes so I think yeah. it's great that so when you've come from a place of having experience it gives you high empathy uh, which is a great start point for coach therapy whatever you want to do with it afterwards because you get it mm-hmm. you know I've, so for example I always feel a bit of a fraud because I've never had a fear of flying I've had yeah. other fears and I know how fear works, but yes. I always wonder whether it gives you an advantage or not being uh, one step removed or whether it's better to have really been through it like you have. So I think that's really interesting. So tell us some success stories, uh, because you must have some. Oh, yeah, actually. Um, yeah, so recently, uh, again, talking about, you know, our limiting mindsets that are going to stop us from doing anything. Actually, I'll, I'll start with one of my own and then uh, a lady I helped recently. So it's kind of known that, you know, flying is a still quite a glamorous industry. And certainly in private flying, there are varying levels and it can be quite an ageist industry. Not in the States, thankfully. You know, there are ladies flying into their 60s that take care of themselves. But Europe, not so much. And Middle East is even worse. And then the Far East, the whole other story. So I remember uh, in the Middle East, somebody had asked me if I could help out freelance on a jet. So again, that's just where they pay you for your time. You go on board, you do the job, and then you'll charge them for those days. And they said, are you looking for a job? And I said, no, actually, I'm already doing another job, but I have some time off. They said, oh, that's great, because you don't quite fit our criteria. And I knew that that was likely age because I could see the age wow. of the lady I was wow. <laughs> so again I think just coming into this industry you know we know it's a, a fickle industry but again there are 
you know, if you can sort of not take that to heart and be like, okay, you know, let's just see and just have an open mind about it. So I, I went there, I did the job and I, I didn't really do much to be honest. I served a, an espresso, but you know, I, I know I, everything I did, I did it properly. And then the boss rang the company the next day and said, we need to hire her. And they'd been looking for six months. And the lady that had said to me, oh, you know, you don't quite fit our criteria. She said, wow, I'm really shocked. She said, I was told to, some, to look for somebody with a maximum age of 30. And at the time when I got that job, I was 48. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, again, it's people, you know, that, that there are sort of guidelines out there and people feel limited by them. But I, I feel like just don't because there are always situations mm. where you can just fall through that loophole, you know, and just if you just have an open mind, don't allow yourself to be limited by it. And then this sort of leads into another lady that I helped recently, a, a lady that had been made redundant from Virgin Atlantic. I really felt in a place of desperation and I really resonated with her because that's where I'd been yes. a year and a half ago. Yeah. And I could feel where she was at. And I said, look, I've so been there and I've completely worked through this. So we just did an hour and a half session just to really address what just one thing she wanted to be able to do in that one session, which was to how to get through her job interview that was coming up. So she had a job interview for a private flying role. And we really just talked about how to really get her grounded so out of her head, because that's where all of the crazy talk goes on that you can't do this. And... You speak for yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I've got a lot of crazy talk goes on. So, so we worked through that, how to just get grounded in the present moment to really access the best of ourselves. So there's no limiting beliefs going on. Mm. And then really talked about how to take the experience she has now and how to relate it to the private cabin so that when she walked into that interview that, she, you know, she could really feel prepared. So it's like a, like a whole sort of multifaceted yeah. sort of way of helping yeah. her to be her best sort of solid self. And she called me to say that she got the job. Now what's oh, wonderful nice. about this is that she's 52. It's her first private flying job ever. Now, Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, most people are like, you know, I get people writing to me saying, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 40, am I too old to start? And I think, well, who am I to say? Mm. I to tell them because actually I've broken so many rules myself yeah helped other people break rules and actually we don't need to limit ourselves at all and I feel like you know if if you have a desire it's there for a reason and it's there so you can break through whatever barrier it is to get to the other side because it's it's always going to be there and unless we kind of do some take some steps to try and work through it we're always going to feel like something's still missing there's something still unfulfilled and we need to get there mm. so yeah. I knew you'd be the right person to talk to <laughs> I've watched a couple of your videos and I just thought this uh, as I, I had this instinct that there'd be so many parallels because yeah. as you were talking about that I'm thinking anybody listening would be thinking that's so let me take it a step further okay so if you had to sort of sum up you know, anybody struggling with a fear or a limiting belief or so it could be fear of flying but it could be broader than that yeah what would you suggest they did I think first of all is just know that it's okay to have a fear so that leads to acceptance just a willingness to have an open mind and just be like okay 
I can accept that I feel this way and immediately just the acceptance it's looking the elephant in the room in the face and immediately that lets resistance down and then when there's when there's that acceptance then it allows flow because if we're in resistance if we don't accept we're in resistance and it's like there's a brick wall there nothing can change nothing can flow but just by having acceptance that wall will drop at least there will be some movement happens and that's where the magic happens that's where you can actually start to create change and even sometimes getting that point of acceptance then we just receive inspiration or we just suddenly think oh actually yeah i never mm. even thought of that but when we're in resistance we're so locked in this really low place that yeah. having acceptance will start to feel better and then from that point that's where I always say with any fear that comes up I do it myself all the time rather than jump on board with that train that, that thought that's going 90 miles an hour before it gets right with the station it's built so much momentum I just stop and say actually is that really true because often what will happen is that, again, with a fear of flying or again with maybe you've just lost your job or whatever it is, you will think there could be 10 possibilities. Mm. But choose the absolute worst. You will choose the worst one. Who needs enemies, right? The way we speak to ourselves sometimes. True. So sometimes if you can say, actually, is that 100% true? And if there's a possibility, and there always will be, that there could be another reason that it's, that it's not that worst one. Just at least having the openness and the willingness to look at another option will immediately make you feel better. And even if you don't believe it in the moment to at least consider there is another option and go with that. Just go with that even if you don't believe it in the moment because even that in itself, even if you don't believe it, it will just lift your energy. It will help mm. create movement. It will help to shift things. It will make you feel better. And... What, and what happened was when, when that happened to me, when I was told I had a job and then it was gone and then I immediately gave myself out of those 10 options, possibilities, I chose the worst one, made it very personal about myself. I'm rubbish. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not good at this anymore. Nobody mm. wants me. All of mm. those rubbish stories. But I just stopped myself in the moment as I'd advise anybody else to do and say, actually, is this really 100% true? And I thought, well, actually... I'm not sure it's true, it feels true right now, but it could be that it's not personal. It could be that there's a reason that I don't know about that is nothing to do with me. Yes. And I thought, well, I don't quite fully believe it, but I'm gonna go with it anyway. Yeah, yeah. It immediately lifted my mood. And as it happens, four weeks later, that client came back and said, oh, actually, we would love you to come and work for us. So first of all, I saved myself three days of terrorizing myself over nothing. And actually it just proved that it wasn't personal and nine times out of 10, you know, that it will be something else, but we always choose the worst. It's like we yeah. create our own horror movie, but if Definitely. we can just stop in the moment and say, is this 100% true? Because chances are, if we just stop, that will stop the momentum of that runaway train. And then if we just choose another thought, although we don't believe it, it will start to create shift and then that's where the magic yeah. can happen so uh, that's lovely takes there's practice a, there's, but... yeah some really nice there's some there's a few elements of mindfulness there of um some rebt you know the rational emotive behavior therapy there's a little bit so i can hear lots of little threads there but that mostly it sounds like 
you've done a lot of work on this yourself, which is impressive. And and I'm sure can be really helpful for people. So if people want to follow you or maybe get some help with you, what's the best way to contact you? I put lots of free videos on Instagram. That's Heidi Cole underscore confidence in the air. And on my email, it's Heidi at confidence in the air.com. So yeah, always around on those. So yeah. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing because it's brilliant. And there's going to be some really positive messages for people to receive. So I, I can't thank you enough for oh. your time and your your little stories and your wisdom. It's going to be awesome. So thank you again. Thanks so much. <laughs>